Hey guys, Elizabeth here, and I want to talk to you about Boardwalk Apparel Company. They are one of our newest partners, and we could not love them more. They specialize in offbeat and quirky shirts and hoodies, and they even have their own podcast, so you should definitely check that out. Their shirts and hoodies are really great quality, and you can get your own by going to BoardwalkT-shirts.com and use code BESTIE to get 10% off your first order. So after you're done listening to this episode, go to BoardwalkT-shirts.com and use our code BESTIE to get that 10% off. Again, that's BoardwalkT-shirts.com, code BESTIE at checkout. Later, besties. everybody and welcome to horrendous a best friends podcast that the recording was delayed because one co-host was too busy watching batman the long halloween on hbo max you know it happens and then uh went to go call bingo (laughs) i wish i was playing bingo yeah so the jackpot tonight was eight thousand dollars oh jesus christ did somebody win nobody won okay nobody won so if nobody i think if nobody hits it yeah nobody hits it tonight yeah so it'll go to nine thousand next week unless somebody hits it if i was guaranteed to win i would buy a plane ticket and go play (laughs) it's a good time Believe it or not, I am a phenomenal bingo host. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say player. I'm like, it's luck. (laughs) I truly missed my calling. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yes, I I apologize that we are recording later than planned. I uh, settled in to watch the Batman The Long Halloween because I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, and you may not know about this about me. I think you do. But I love Batman. I think he is the superior superhero. He's kind of a slut, which I'm not slut shaming him. He's a single dude, and he gets consent. So I'm here for it. I really love Batman. He's smart, he's rich, and he's the world's greatest detective. He doesn't need superpowers. He just needs his powers of deduction and his money. Are you sure it's not because Robert Pattinson is going to be playing him no no my love for batman has run longer than our pats playing the batman and you know what everybody wants to talk shit but i think they need to give him a chance okay he's made some very interesting and creative choices since his twilight days and he cannot help that that was a shitty movie and shitty scripts so there's that yes and shitty acting on other people's parts. Yes. But he's really he's really made some interesting choices and very bold choices. And so is Kristen Stewart. So everybody give him a fucking break. As of this recording, Bob Saget has died. No cause of death known yet. So rest in power, Bob Saget. I want to point out, I was on Facebook before we started recording, and my sweet, sweet niece, who is 21 posted a 90s kids thing it was like rest in peace america's dad to which i'm thinking you weren't a 90s kid you were born in the year 2000 (laughs) i love her to pieces and she was probably just sharing it just to share it but you can't share a 90s kid thread that you are not a 90s kid it's hot take hot take well we were trying to figure out if my brother lane was a millennial or not no, so he would be, well... Technically, he is. He was yeah, born was in saying, 99. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so he would be a millennial. Because what is it, 2000 and, oh, and after, it's like zennials or whatever? Yeah. Okay. I always resented not being a Gen Xer, but you know what? Some of the Gen Xers I know are kind of assholes, so... <laughs> um, probably for the better. Okay, well, I told them to keep their hands to themselves. Sorry, it's chaos in the Sweeney household right now. Chaos out here, Tom. Uh, (laughs) Kids are beating each other up over a very heated Mario Kart game. So I apologize for that small interruption. Yeah. Well, yeah, Bob Saget, dead at 65, super young, and he died in Florida. And as we've well established on this podcast, 
nothing good happens in Florida. No. So, hopefully there's nothing nefarious going on. It was just natural call, call, the causes. I can't get the word out. As we all know, Betty White also died. Sidney Poitier died. And for all you football fans, John Madden died. There's just a lot of celebrity deaths right now. So we should have, what, two more since that's four of them? Yep, since they happen in threes. Right. There's going to be two more. It always happens in threes. I'm going to call Keith Richards. Good luck with that. Well, I'm just saying. Put a lot of money. I'm just, I know. I'm it, just saying, put a lot of money on that bet. Well, it's it was supposed to be Keith Richards and Betty White till the end. Betty White and died. Cher. So. Yeah. Let's just make a pact to protect Dolly at all costs. Yes. I'd be kind of heart- heartbroken. I can't talk either. Jeez. Why do we have a podcast? Right? I don't need that kind of trauma in my life right now. I already, My daughter was heart sick over Betty White. She'll have a full-on coronary if something happens to Dolly. Okay? Yeah. So, <laughs> we just need to just protect Dolly at all costs. I watched the first episode of The Witcher, season two. Toss corn to your Witcher home valley aplenty. I liked it. <laughs> I'm all in. You know you know me. I'm I'm all in on it. That's all I have, I think. I you know, I the salt life stickers still at a at a ten for me, still seeing them everywhere. But yeah, I don't you know, I think that's really all that the there is new going on in my life. I don't have a lot going on. <laughs> Cult bingo. Apparently, I should just have always been doing it. And I was entertaining people with my wrestling knowledge tonight because a lot of people may not know this, but I am a very closeted... <laughs> coming out right now. I'm a closeted <laughs> wrestling fan. I have a lot of useless wrestling knowledge, thanks to my sweet, sweet husband. <laughs> You're just going full white trash, aren't you? Um, why does that make me? First of all, how else am I white trash? <laughs> Call in like the I'm bingo. Wearing... First of all, <laughs> watching WWE. Like running... No, we don't do that. It's AEW in this. Oh, house. okay. <laughs> Listen, I. It's not like I'm walking around wearing Stone Cold Steve Austin, Austin 315 t-shirts like all of the boys in our middle school and high school did. Wasn't there somebody who wore like a wrestling belt? Oh, bless Ernie. I don't. I just remember the belt. Yeah. Ernie was. Was it Ernie? I feel like it was. He was. He was a, I believe he had autism. Okay. And he, if I recall, had the belt and he wore a leather jacket and he loved wrestling. Very, very sweet guy. Yes. I very wasn't sweet. saying anything bad no, about No, no, I know. I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm remembering him. Like, I have not thought about him in, since high school, but he was the sweetest, and he did love wrestling. He loved I hope that he, belt. I hope he's doing... Yes, he did. I hope he's doing really well. Wherever he is at, I hope Ernie is doing awesome. Agreed. So, yeah, I think we've covered really just everything. Callie called me white trash. <laughs> Shots were fired. I'm a little hurt. But, you know what, we're going to jump into some other people who are white trash and really just awful and terrible. Callie's going to be telling us about some really terrible things that happened in Skidmore, Missouri. Yes, and although it's from Colorado, I am drinking a Coors Banquet. Because we don't drink nothing unless it's American beer here on Horrendous. That's definitely not true, but sure. No, yes, it is definitely not true, but I just had to say it because I felt like it was, you know. Listen, Coors Banquet is really cheap, and my husband wanted to try it because he kept seeing it on Cobra Kai. (laughs) Okay. Johnny was drinking it all the time, so he's like. Johnny. You know, I'm really glad that guy got a second life. He really did. (laughs) God bless. God, goddess bless. (laughs) Johnny from Cobra Kai. 
So I was working at Bethmo. I was like, you know what? We sell that. I'm going to get you some. <laughs> I'm going to get you some. <laughs> and we love it. It's for $10.99 a 12 pack. It's amazing. I think I'm going to buy a 30 rack next time. <laughs> Which I think that's only $16.99. Okay. So enough you about my attention. Enough about my uh, beer drinking. My sources are Wikipedia, the docu-series No One Saw a Thing, FilmDaily.co, InsideEdition.com, MentalFloss.com, Bustle.com, Box2Now.com, which is a not local to me anymore, but an old local news station, People.com, Patch.com, Murderpedia. Dot com and calendar ejiorg Most people glamorize small town living. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is where you got me last time. <laughs> Go ahead. We don't lock our doors around here. Yes, and that's how you get your shit stolen. Yeah, they kept saying that in the docuseries. This is the type of town we don't lock we don't our doors. Lock your doors. And that's how you know some horrible shit happened there. It's real bad. Occasionally, I'll go to the gas station still and not lock my door, car door when I run in. Oh, no. I'm, I'm, it's getting, I'm like the Santa Claus of my locks. I, I'm, I'm making sure it's locked and I'm checking it twice. Good to know. I'm just forgetful most of the time. Okay, so this especially applies to people who have never lived in small towns. For example... My stepdad would go to the gas station for coffee in the morning, and he would be gone for several hours. He'd get home and we'd ask, what took so long? And every damn time, well, I bumped into Billy Bob and we got to talking, and then Jimbo showed up, and you know he's having troubles with his old lady, so we let him run his mouth for a bit. This is generally how small towns work. And I can hear Keeley's voice as you said all of it. <laughs> and, yeah. Those are made up names, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say, they're definitely made up names. <laughs> and, yeah, that's 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 the thing. Yeah, and the funny thing is, people in small towns, even though I live in a small town, just because, but because I live near St. Louis, I'd be called city people. Oh, yeah, that's true. We're going to the city. And it would be Arnold. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or Festus. We're going to the city. We got to go into the city. You know, she got to go see that doctor in the city. (laughs) She's got that lung cancer from smoking 80 packs of cigarettes a day and drinking Budweiser. She's got to go into the city. Got to get her heart looked at. You know, them damn city people. Them damn city people. They don't know how to drive. They think they're better than everybody. All right. So that's typically how small towns work. (laughs) Everyone knows everyone. Mm -hmm. And everyone is up in your business. They sure the hell are. And small towns know how to keep secrets. This is especially true of Skidmore, Missouri. So Skidmore is a farming town in northwest Missouri in Nottoway County. Population estimated at 257 in 2019. The Skidmore area was first settled in 1840 by William Bunton shortly after the Platt Purchase opened the area to settlement. Skidmore itself was platted in 1880 when M. Skidmore donated 20 acres to the Nottoway Valley Railroad Company which is no longer a thing. Skidmore is famous for the vigilante killing of the town bully, Ken Rex McElroy, in 1981. July 10th, 1981, in front of the town tavern, the DNG, McElroy was gunned down in his truck with anywhere from 15 to 90 witnesses. No one has ever been charged or convicted with the killing. Ken McElroy was born June 1st, 1934 in Overland Park, Kansas. He was the 15th of 16 children to a poor couple named Tony and Mabel. He dropped out of school at the age of 15 in eighth grade and quickly established a local reputation as a cattle hustler, not hustler, rustler, small-time thief, and womanizer. 
For more than two decades, McElroy was suspected of being involved in the theft of grain, gasoline, alcohol, antiques, and livestock, but he avoided conviction when charges were brought against him, often after the witnesses refused to testify because he allegedly intimidated them. It's all about who you know, too, when you live in a small town. It's all about who you know. That's true. So... I mean, my stepdad almost killed a dude and didn't see any jail time. You can leave that in. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm happy to uh, further delve in, but yeah, totally got off of it and was just charged with assault. At least he was charged with something. Yeah. Actually, I don't even know if he had assault on his, because that would be like, he would have that on his record. So I don't even think he had that. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. So small towns, you can almost murder a dude by hitting him over the head with a sledgehammer and not serve any jail time. That is good to know. He would frequently follow his targets or park outside their homes and watch them. He was also known to put rattlesnakes in people's mailboxes. Oh, super nice, dude. Yeah, it was fantastic. I'm sure those people always wanted a snake. I mean, especially a rattlesnake. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) He was also accused of assault, child molestation, statutory rape, arson, and animal cruelty. Oh, the trifecta. Yes. He was represented by defense attorney Richard Jean McFadden. In the docuseries, No One Saw a Thing, McFadden recalled the first time McElroy asked him to represent him. McFadden said, you can't afford me. McElroy responded, let me decide that, and pulled out a fat roll of cash. From that day on, McFadden was called any time he had trouble. McElroy was father to at least 10 children and was married three times. His last wife, Trina, was only 12 when they started having sex, and by 14, she became pregnant for the first time and moved in with him. Which is just, I have no words for that. And I, there's no way that that sex at 12 could have been consensual. Right. Even if she says it was, you're 12. That's not. You're 12. You don't know what you're doing. After giving birth and enduring abuse from McElroy, Trina ran to her mother's house. McElroy drug her home. He went back to Trina's mother's house while she was away shot her dog, and burned down her house. Because he's a piece of shit. Yes. If we had not already established that, he's a real piece of shit. Yes. He then married Trina, who now couldn't be forced to testify against him for the statutory rape charge brought against him, to which Trina was the only witness. Trina's mother gave permission for the marriage sometime after McElroy threatened to burn down her house. In 1976, Romaine Henry, a farmer, told police that McElroy shot him twice in the stomach after he told the man to get off his property. Romaine Henry remembered sitting in his truck with gunshot wounds in his stomach and blood on the driver's side door thinking he was going to die. McElroy was charged with assault with intent to kill The case dragged on, and Henry said McElroy menaced him by sitting in his truck on Henry's property. When the case went to trial, McElroy was acquitted. Two raccoon hunters said he was with them on the day of the shooting. Harry M. McLean, author of In Broad Daylight, explained, When the town of Skidmore saw a guilty man get acquitted in the legal system, they said, Well, we're all on our own here. These are second and third generation farmers. They don't move. They just kind of cower in their houses. Which is true. Like, a lot of people, even if a town's dying, they still won't move. They're there until they die. And it's kind of a pride thing. I think you brought that up. Yeah, it is. They're just like, you're not making me leave here. My family's lived here for you know, 150 years, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. The straw that finally broke the camel's back was the shooting of the local grocer over a two-cent piece of candy. Not child rape. No. 
No. We're putting rattlesnakes in people's mailboxes for them to be potentially bit and then maybe possibly die. Not all the other horrible shit that he did, but this. And not that it wasn't bad. It was horrible. And they should have been fed up, but it shouldn't have took this long. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) One of the Malcory children came into the store, and when the child went home, they said that the clerk yelled at them for stealing candy. Trina went to the store in a rage and started dropping F-bombs, asking why they were accusing her children of stealing. And I can see her now. Like, I can imagine her, and I shouldn't be stereotyping, but... (laughs) So, apparently no one accused the kids of stealing. While trying to explain that to Trina, she said, Well, you're about to meet Ken Rex Malkoroy, and stormed out. Do you know who my husband is? Basically. I bet you don't, but I'm going to go get him. Let me get my 32-ounce Mountain Dew first. (laughs) Sorry, I really should not be stereotyping the people that we grew up around, but... But it's true. Unfortunately, yes. So, there's an article on Patch.com about this. We'll link it on the blog post. But one of the clerks said... There's no way they would have accused them of stealing candy because since it was a small town and it was the only grocer in town, when people fell on hard times, they oftentimes turned a blind eye to people stealing because they had to feed their families. Yeah. So they would eventually confront them if they stole too much. Yeah. But they wouldn't have really said anything over a two cent piece of candy. According to this article. After that day, McElroy would sit outside the shop that the Bowen Camps owned and his truck. That escalated into him sitting outside of the Bowen Camps home during the night. This went on for months. The family feared that it would turn violent considering McElroy's past. Turns out they were right. McElroy was also to the point where he was shooting guns into the air outside their house. A real winner. Definitely. I wish I could have found a man like that. Don't we all? One evening in July 1980, Bo Bowenkamp, who was 70 years old, he was the owner of this grocery store. He was sitting on the back loading dock watching the world go by when McElroy approached him. After a verbal exchange, Malkaroy raised his shotgun and fired. The buckshot tore through Bo's neck. The 70-year-old was lucky enough to survive the shot. McElroy drove off in his truck. A highway patrol corporal named Richard Stratton was alerted to the incident and gave chase to McElroy. Stratton knew from previous experiences that McElroy would try to flee the county through a neighboring town. Stratton caught up with and arrested McElroy. He had to consider the possibility that McElroy might shoot him because McElroy had threatened in the past that he was capable of gunning down police and Stratton had no reason to doubt him. When it came to the criminal case, McFadden once again represented him. Since Nottoway County was so small, McFadden requested and received a change of venue to Harrison County. He prepared a defense that portrayed Bowenkamp as the aggressor. McElroy claimed that Bowenkamp approached him menacingly with a knife, and he had no choice but to defend himself. McElroy did what McElroy did best, tried to intimidate the Bowenkamps by driving by and making harassing calls. His tactics didn't work this time. McElroy was convicted of second-degree assault and received a two-year jail sentence. The rejoicing was short-lived because a judge allowed McElroy out on a $40,000 bond pending the appeal of the conviction. He obviously didn't learn any lessons. He would go to the D&G Tavern brandishing a rifle with a bayonet attached to it, Bowing to finish the job on Bowen Camp. <laughs> this was a clear violation of his bond. The town, finally having found the courage to testify against him, was hoping that he'd finally be locked up for this violation of his bond. 
McFadden was able to get the hearing delayed, something that he was good at. So instead of being at court on the morning of July 10th, 1981, McElroy was at the tavern. The town was furious that McElroy was still a free man. The angry townsfolk held an impromptu town hall meeting in the American Legion Hall across the street from the D&G Tavern to discuss how to handle the McElroy situation. Approximately 60 people were in attendance at the meeting, including both the mayor and the sheriff. When McElroy was spotted leaving the DNG, the crowd in the Legion Hall followed him outside to the parking lot to confront him. It was said as McElroy was driving into town that morning, the sheriff was driving out from the meeting. Mm-hmm. And likely that they passed each other on the way. There are also rumors that they were exchanging money during the meeting for the killing of McElroy. After the meeting let out, someone went to McElroy and the DNG and told him to leave town. Him and Trina walked out to his truck and many of the crowd from the meeting silently followed. As soon as McElroy was in the truck with the engine started, someone across the street raised a rifle. Trina recalled later, I started to scream. I said to Ken, they've got a gun. I think he kind of knew what was going to happen. He didn't show any fear. He never said a word. Seconds later, McElroy fell against the steering wheel, shot through the head. He was shot by two separate weapons. The bullet's momentum caused his foot to stomp the gas pedal, pushing the engine into a high-pitched whine. Someone pulled Trina from the passenger seat and ushered her into the nearby bank. Even after she was safe inside the bank, she still thought they were going to kill her. Yeah, but here's the thing. I didn't think about this lot, you know, when we had talked about it before. I understand her being fearful because, I mean, that's a very traumatic and horrifying thing to go through. But why would she think that they were going to kill her? He was the piece of shit terrorizing everybody. Unless she thought that they were going to try, you know, they were going to kill her because guilty by association. But she was just as much of a victim as everybody else in town. Yes. But she also, like, I really think it was a case of Stockholm. Yeah. I mean, it had to be. He had groomed her from a very young age. Right. And she would throw his name around anytime somebody said something to her. And in the docuseries, No One Saw a Thing, there's a Vietnam vet, Brit Smalls, I think was Mm -hmm. his last name. And he said that he was approached a few times asking him to kill McElroy. And he wouldn't do it. But he's like, where they fucked up is that they should have killed his wife, too. I would have killed his wife. So I guess it was a legitimate fear. Yeah. I see your point. So Trina said she knew exactly who shot McElroy. That it was Del Clement, one of the owners of the DNG. Clement denied the charge, and a coroner's jury declined to order an arrest warrant. Trina tried to convince the grand jury that Del Clement was indeed murdered. When being questioned, they brought up the rape charges that Trina had filed against Malcolm when she was a teenager. She told the jury that she lied because she was jealous. Because McElroy was married to someone else at the time. Which is very upsetting. Yes. She said that McElroy never done anything to harm her and that he was a good man. Was he though? Right. When asked about her parents' house burning down, she said it was due to faulty wiring. Okay, sure, Jan. They did not believe her testimony on what had happened. Well, no. No charges were filed against anyone. The county prosecutor, David Byrd, said the crime was fairly unremarkable in the context of current day gang shootings witnessed by many but seen by few willing to risk their safety by ratting out the crew. Byrd told Patch, I said it in 1981 and I'll say it now. Once you boil away the facts of what occurred, you can probably point to hundreds of similar reports every week across the United States. 
so David Byrd, he originally took the county prosecutor job mm-hmm. because the previous prosecutor said, it's a small county. Nothing ever happens here. <laughs> Except you have this one guy who's making everybody's lives absolutely goddamn miserable. Well, I think his first case was the one with McElroy and the Boeing camps when he shot Bo. That was his very first case. Oh, okay. And then this was his second case. The FBI even took on the case. About 10 FBI agents came to town dressed like farmers. The investigators dug and dug, but Skidmore residents maintained their silence. Well, yeah, because you have four farmers just like popping up in town. Again, this is a small town where everybody knows everybody. If they didn't graduate high school from with you or go to church with you every Sunday or have known you since elementary school, you they weren't talking to you? No. You were an outsider. Yeah. No, they're not. I don't even know why they thought they could. Because they're people who've never lived in a small town before. Right. Because <laughs> they're going in with the mentality that, like, as you brought up at the beginning, a lot of people who've never lived in a small town before, they go in with this idea that everybody's welcoming and so nice and they're not as rude as people who live in the city and they look out for each other and so they're gonna well you know they're so welcoming and that's really not always the case no i mean they look out for each other but yeah not from somebody who just shows up yeah you have to put in your time you have to be there a few years or a few decades yeah, a few decades is more accurate, but... few generations. A few generations, exactly. <laughs> if your grandma wasn't best friends with their grandma. Or if you have a certain last name, they may not want anything to do with you. Right. Whether you're an awesome person or not, because you have that last name, because there were a few names like that in our town, that mm-hmm. if you had a certain last name, if your parents heard that last name or your grandparents heard that last name... Oh, you need to stay away from that kid. That family is no good. Right. A federal grand jury was convened. There were still no indictments, so the case went back to Byrd. When asked why there was no charges filed against Clement, Byrd said, You don't take cases to trial to see what might happen. We didn't have sufficient evidence to go to trial. Some say there were three shooters. Some say it was one. But no one will say who it was. This is still an unsolved case. Some are afraid that if they talk, they will receive the same fate as McElroy. So after all this, the McElroy family was run out of Skidmore after the shooting. Well, yeah, because they didn't want him there. No, they didn't. It said that Trina went down to the Ozarks. And she she passed away in 2012. I think it was from lung cancer. I don't remember that's very now. That's sad, because that's a very, that, that's a rough death. It is. So, Any kind of cancer is a rough death. Not, <laughs> right. Not to say, you know, if you have one cancer over another, it's rougher. That's just a very awful death. The children were targeted because they had the McElroy name. They were judged by the sins of their father. Yeah, and again, it goes back to what we just talked about. If you have a certain last name and people, you know, people associate that name with Maybe one or two people from that family who were maybe not the greatest people. And while you may not be that type of person, you may be an amazing person. You're still going to be judged by that. Well, it's also interesting because like your last name, your family and my last name and my family were not originally from there. (laughs) No, no. And I, yeah, I was definitely... I, I mean, I grew up there. We moved to Bonterre when I was, I think, three or four, four, four. And people knew my mom's cousins because my mom's cousins had gone to North County. Right. Our alma mater for, you know, since uh, elementary school. And my stepdad, everybody knew my stepdad because his family had been in that area for a very long time. So I was associated not by my last name, because I didn't have my stepdad's last name. I have my dad's last name. Mm -hmm. But everybody knew who my stepdad was. 
Same with my stepdad. Yeah, never. Well, and people knew your stepdad for better reasons. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they knew my stepdad. My stepdad's a great guy. Keely is the goat. Keely is the greatest, <laughs> and I love him. And he always treated me like one of his own. He still does, and so did Mama Leanne. Um, can't say enough great things about them. My stepdad was trash. Uh, yeah. <laughs> still is, by all accounts. Yeah. So I unfortunately, because people knew who my stepdad was. People, I guess, because he knew so many people, they would, I, and I told you this story, you know, I was staying the night at a friend's house, and I had been there, had not left, this friend lived in Deloge, and I got a phone call at this friend's house, because somebody had called, or my stepdad's friends had called him and said, hey, I just, I think I saw Elizabeth and somebody walking down the, they called it Dago Hill, by uh, Brothers yeah. Bar, which at that point was closed. And I, don't, and I know Dago is a derogatory term for Italian people. Wasn't so. it Fargo Hill? People called it Fargo Hill, too. Maybe it was Fargo Hill, yeah. But, yeah, they walking down the hill by Brothers. Why is she walking the streets? So I get a phone call from my mom and my stepdad. Where are you at? I'm at Tiffany's house. Okay, well, we're just checking because so-and-so said... That they saw you walking down the hill by Brothers Bar. Nope. Been in Deloge since you dropped me off. And like Bonterre's close, but that's a far walk. It was a very far walk. Like, to be fair, I'd probably been walking around Deloge Park, but I was not I was not in Bonterre. <laughs> All right. So Trina filed a lawsuit against Del Clement, the mayor of Skidmore, and the county sheriff. She won $11 million for the wrongful death civil suit. She settled out of court for $17,000. Quite a difference. Very I mean, big shoot difference. shoot for the stars, man. Try to get what you can get, I guess. Right. I think she would have had a better time if she would... Not a better time. Bad choice of words. Uh, if she An easier time. An easier time if she would have went after the county? The yeah, sheriff? Instead of not an the sheriff. individual. Yeah. So, like, the county, like the, county the police the department. The yeah. police de- Yeah. I think she would have, it would have worked out better for her. She was also quoted as saying, like, if Del Clement is arrested, will you feel justice is served? And she said, no, the whole town's guilty. And they, they are. Yeah, I mean, whether they pulled the trigger or not, they're culpable because they refused to, you know, testify against each other. Right. And whether or not he deserves to die or not, like, that's not the question. Like, he was a piece of shit, but you can't be judge, jury, executioner. Like, people, he should have faced justice and been put in jail a long time ago. But that's a failing on the Justice Department in that town. And I understand them feeling like they were at their wits end and sick of being terrorized by that piece of shit. But... Just come together as a town and do better. And and I say do better by don't let him intimidate you when he goes to court. Yes. And I'm not trying to victim blame. I know that sounds victim blamey. But part of the problem is, and I understand being scared. You don't want to live in this town with this guy and have him, you know, terrorize you if by chance he is not found guilty. So I get that. But. I know, I, no matter how I say it, it's going to sound victim-blamey, but I'm testif- if one person had stepped up, you know, stood up and said, hey, this dude's a piece of shit and this is what happened, he could have very well been already serving jail time. Right. Especially after murdering his mother-in-law. No, he didn't kill her, just oh, burned yeah, down her house. Oh, yeah, just burned down her house. That's right. That's and right. killed her dog. Killed her dog. McFadden summarized his feelings in a 2010 New York Times interview saying the town got away with murder. I mean, they did. He's not wrong. I'm constantly on the look for new and fun podcasts to listen to. Something that can keep my attention with hosts that are engaging and fun to listen to. Ghost Town, I think, may be my new favorite. Ghost Town is a strange history, true crime, and paranormal podcast, so it's got the trifecta so you know that I'm hooked. Twice a week, hosts Jason and Rebecca 
discuss and explore some of the most mysterious and interesting events in history. You can take a trip with them to haunted hotels, abandoned malls, deserted amusement parks, discuss paranormal experiences, infamous true crimes, as well as weird historical and cultural events. Follow them on Instagram at Ghost Town Pod or check out their website at ghosttownpod.com. Listen to them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Check them out now. Don't wait. You're gonna love it. So this isn't the first time that the county collectively decided to kill someone and take the law into their own hands. On January 12th, 1931, a black man named Raymond Gunn was seized by a mob of over 2,000 white men, women, and children. Wait, a mob of white people uh, attacked a black man? I, I don't believe that one bit. That's unheard of. Unheard of. He was placed on the roof of the local white schoolhouse and burned alive in a public lynching meant to terrorize the entire black community in Maryville, Missouri, which is very close to Skidmore. And I stand by this statement. This is the only time I'll ever condone a demon, a a sleep demon coming to kill people one by one. I'm not a fan of Freddy Krueger, but I condone the Freddy Krueger behavior in this situation 100%. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm i okay with that. Otherwise, any Freddy Krueger behavior can go right to hell. <laughs> Those movies are hilarious. I'm so sorry that you're so scared of them. It's really only the first one, like the original. It's... I've watched Freddy vs. Jason, and that movie was just stupid. Dream Warriors is hilarious. My grandpa, because I was so... Because this is just more proof. My grandparents are just the goddamn best. It's been well established on this podcast. And I'm terrified of Freddy Krueger. And my grandpa, because he is a GD saint, knew I was scared. And I had a hard time going to sleep because I was scared. Like, this was like an almost every night thing. It it was really bad when I was a little kid. And there's a story as to why. I don't know if I told you, but it's not one I can share on the podcast. You told (laughs) Um, me. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So my sweet, sweet, perfect, wonderful grandpa would make up, he made up a story and it was him and Frankenstein, because I loved Frankenstein, would go to lollipop land and the story grew each time he told it. But the, the result of every story was him and Frankenstein kicking Freddy Krueger's ass. And it always helped me go to sleep. So every time I would visit them when I was really little or they would come to visit us when I was really little, he knew I struggled with sleeping, with going to sleep. The the sleeping part, I was, you know, once I got there, I got there. But it was the going to sleep that was very difficult for me, especially when I started sleeping on my own, like in my own room, because my sister Jessica and I shared a bed for a while when we had first moved to Missouri. And so he knew how hard it was for me. He told the story every single time. So that's just, I love you, Grandpa. (laughs) You're the best. So on not a happy note, like a happy note to not happy note. Yeah. Sorry, I thought I'd butter everybody up before we got into this really horrible freaking story. (laughs) Days before, a white school teacher had been found murdered and suspicion fell on Gunn, who was arrested. On December 16, 1930, 20-year-old teacher Thelma Coulter, who was the daughter of a local farm couple, was killed in the one-room schoolhouse about a mile southwest of Maryville. When she didn't return home as scheduled, her partially clad body was found in a pool of blood in the middle of the school, and there was a bloody footprint. A farmer said that he saw somebody matching Gunn's description near the school. Did he, though? No idea. Because this is some To Kill a Mockingbird shit is what this is. I hate that book. Fuck off. I'm sorry. It's okay. You're entitled to your opinion. I hated it. Maybe I'll try to read it again, but I, I remember I loved it, but not nearly it. as much as I love Little Women. 
that's my the stand how you always buy copies of the stand if there is some variation of little women i buy it anyway go ahead sorry Authorities arrested several black men matching the description before finding Gunn on December 18. Gunn had blood on his shirt, which he claimed to be rabbit's blood, and his footprint matched the one at the scene. He also had a bite mark on his thumb. So this was important because a few years prior, he was accused of raping another white woman. He wasn't convicted of it. No, but that's some Emmett Till shit is what that is. But the woman who was raped said that he had put both his thumbs in her mouth. So that's why the bite mark on his thumb is kind of important to this case. Yeah. So Gunn ended up confessing, saying that he had gone to the school with a hedge club after seeing Coulter outside with a coal bucket. He said he hit her once after she bit him. And then again, after she hit him with the coal bucket, the first time he was arrested for that rape charge, he was tortured, basically, in jail. And who's to say that didn't happen again? This was so long ago that we're not going to have any new information on this case. No. So it's kind of like, because of the time, it's kind of hard to not take this with a grain of salt. Yeah. Following Gunn's arrest, police took him to jail in a neighboring county due to threats of lynching. Crowds gathered outside that jail as well, which prompted the sheriff to order a truck with a mounted machine gun to be backed up to the door. The operator of the gun appeared to aim the weapon at the crowd, although he later said he was just oiling it, causing the crowd to disperse. Gunn was transferred again. This time, 100 miles south of Maryville to Kansas City, Missouri. At 3.30 a.m. on December 26th, Gunn returned to Maryville for arraignment and then was taken back to Kansas City. Gunn's court date was set for January 12th. The Nottoway County prosecuting attorney said Gunn would get a fair trial. Would he, though? Probably not. We never know. Well, we'll never know, but I'm just going to go shot in the dark here. Probably not. An appeal to Missouri Governor Henry S. Caulfield to deploy the National Guard to prevent an anticipated lynching attempt. Caulfield sent 60 troops to stand by at the National Guard a block north of the courthouse. By law, the National Guard could only be deployed at the written request of the sheriff, which was never made. And I think we encountered that with the Tulsa 21. Right. That they waited a really long time to call the National Guard or the National Guard waited too damn long before getting like they waited until like the like the next day. I think so. Before all the after all the bad shit had already happened. Like 18 hours later. 18 hours later. Yeah. The sheriff told the press that he did not want to call up the guard because he did not want them to get hurt. Really? Like, what they're literally trained for. 100%. A large crowd gathered in Maryville Square between the jail block to the northeast and the Nottoway County Courthouse. The sheriff was transporting gun by car and drove directly into the mob. When he opened the door, a man pulled the sheriff aside and another took gun out of the car. Men who were there had said years later that the leader bluntly said to the sheriff, either you move out of the way or die with this man. Either way, he's going to die today. No, that's not premeditation at all. No, not at all. I I think he wasn't sure what he was going to do to this guy. but I, I mean, it sounds like he wasn't. He didn't have his mind made up. Right. Gunn was marched down Main Street, avoiding the National Guardsmen. After an hour and a half, Gunn and the crowd arrived to the Garrett schoolhouse. His ears and nose were bleeding. The contents of the schoolhouse had been removed and placed on the lawn. He was taken by 12 men inside the schoolhouse, where he is reported to have confessed again, as well as claiming he had an accomplice named Shike Smith. That doesn't sound like a sadist made-up name. No, not at not all. all. Gunn was taken to the roof of the building where he was tied to a ridge pole. 
gun in the building were doused with gasoline. The leader of the group, only identified as a man in a red coat, threw a lighted piece of paper into the building. Gun screamed once and appeared lifeless in 11 minutes. It's awful. It is. The building's roof collapsed within 16 minutes. Remnants of the school were taken away by the crowd as souvenirs. That's so gross. It is. No charges were ever filed in the case. Attempts to identify the man in the red coat have always been rebuffed with the claim that he was an outsider. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> However, newspapers said all the other leaders were local. The lynching was universally condemned by newspapers across the United States. The Atlanta Constitution published an editorial cartoon with the caption of the Torch of Civilization in Missouri. Residents were concerned that blacks from Kansas City were going to attack the city, which calling Maryville a city is being really uh, generous. Yeah. (laughs) Townspeople reportedly set up machine gun nests on Main Street. Because that's not overkill. No. Gunn's family home was also burned to the ground. The official 1930 census showed 90 blacks living in the town with 35 enrolled in Maryville School in 1930. That's more than we had in our town. This is true. In 1931, the number had dropped to six. I wonder why. I don't know. And eventually almost all the blacks left the town. Franklin Roosevelt in 1932 campaigned saying he was going to take steps to stop lynching. Kind of like the governor of Texas saying that he's going to put an end to rape. Because all the rapists are going to jail. Before they rape. Before they rape. (laughs) People who live in Texas, I know we have quite a few listeners there. I'm so sorry. Yeah, Texas listeners... Please, please explain to us. I, I mean, we live, well, I don't live in Missouri, but I live adjacent to Missouri where it's already a real shit show. So I can't imagine. Please, please uh, let us know. However, he did not back the Wagner-Costigan Act, although he did create the civil rights section of the Justice Department. You mean kind of like saying you're going to get rid of student loan debt, but not getting rid of it? Yeah. Just saying. The case received massive national publicity because it occurred outside the Southern Lynch Belt. Which, oddly enough, I'm sure, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you did the research. Is it by the Bible Belt? They are one and the same. They are, imagine that. You can't buy booze on Sundays, but you can lynch whoever the fuck you want. Yeah. And because of its brazen and planned nature, and because the sheriff did not activate National Guard troops, which had been specifically deployed to prevent the lynching. The case was frequently invoked in the unsuccessful attempt to pass the law that was the Wagner-Costigan Act Mm -hmm. during the presidency of Franklin Roosevelt. This would have made it a federal crime for law enforcement officials to refuse to take steps to prevent a lynching. I mean, that wouldn't have been helpful at all. No. You know, the sheriff might have been held accountable. No shit. Yeah. Although Skidmore is such a small town, it seems to have a lot of horrendous things happen in it. And the county itself. The town started dying after Ken Malkaroy was killed in broad daylight. A lot of the residents moved and no one saw a thing. The docuseries. A lot of people said after he died, the bank shut down. The grocery store shut down. Like the town was dying. And they think they attribute it to the killing of Ken McElroy. See, but I just maybe... I mean, maybe people were afraid to move there because of such a, like, public slaying of somebody. However, if it was anything like, you know, for instance, the town you and I grew up in, and it was a community that depended on a particular industry, for instance, we grew up in a town, in an area known as 
the lead belt. And there was a lot of lead mines in that area. And the town we grew up on actually sits on a lead mine. And once the big one comes and the earthquake, the the New Madrid Fault finally has its big earthquake, that town's going to just fall right into the mine. (laughs) I actually recently went on a tour because I wanted to write a post-apocalyptic story where people take shelter in the mine and they live in the mine. Yeah. Just because I know Bonterre so well that I could easily write a story based in Bonterre. And I love post-apocalyptic shit. There's a billion stories out there, but I want to write my own. Yeah. (laughs) But we went and toured it because Jake was going to help me write this story. And we asked the tour guide, hey, so I grew up here and we always heard once, like, if a big enough earthquake happens, we're going to fall in the mines. And he's like, no, that, that would never happen. That's just... Because it will absorb... Most the of the quake, yeah. Oh, okay. Good to so. know. Thank you for in- educating me. Yeah, I I still don't understand. I still think it's going to fall in the ground, but yeah. apparently it but, won't. <laughs> yeah. So, so the point I'm trying to make, though, you know, if, if Skidmore was a town that depended on a particular industry, like, for instance, lead mining, Park Hills is actually a bunch of incorporated towns because Elvins, Flat River, Lettington, I'm sure there's a couple that I'm missing. All of those towns were individual like towns that were thriving when the mining was at its height. And even like even Bonterre, you know, was thriving when the mining was at its height. But once the mining started to die, the towns died. So I'm wondering if it was a situ you know, a situation like that. Right. It could have been, but I mean, it was mostly farms. Yeah, but I also see, though, people being afraid to move to a community where, you know, the people of that community murdered a dude in the street. Right. So there's actually, like, at least three more things I want to cover in this town that I will do at a later date. It probably won't be my next episode because I need a lot of time for this one. and. I have other stuff I want to talk about. I need like a palate cleansers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I have for Skidmore. This time we will have, well, I will have a part two. Elizabeth will get to listen to it. I'm excited because I had only heard about the uh, McElroy case. Yeah. I think it was like on Mysteries of the Museum or something like that. Oh, speaking of which, I do kind of want to just go over like, the Malkaroy and pop culture. Mm-hmm. Just because when we do have things that are in pop culture, we usually mention it. Yeah. So 60 Minutes ran a segment on the story in 1982, which the documentary No One Saw a Thing uses a lot of footage from that. Mm-hmm. There was a 1988 book called In Broad Daylight by Henry N. MacLean. McLean, sorry, I said that weird. And it was adapted for a made-for-TV movie of the same name, starring Brian Denny. Dennehy? Yeah. Marsha Gay Harden and Chris Cooper. The story of his life and shooting was featured on the 66th episode of Criminal, titled Bully. That's a true crime podcast. Okay. It was episode 53 of My Favorite Murder, told by a guest, Dave Anthony, which I haven't listened to either of those podcasts. I'm sorry. The case was featured on an episode of the web series BuzzFeed Unsolved. The case was an inspiration for the song Diesel in the Dust. Never heard it. It's from a British hard rock band, UFO. Okay. On the album called Making Contact. It came out in 1983. Love it. UFO making contact. It appears on Drunk History in the sixth season episode Drunk Mystery 2 as the first story. It was the inspiration for The Hunting Accident, the second episode of Renegade. 
It was, of course, the inspiration of No One Saw a Thing, which was the docuseries on Sundance TV, or you can watch it on AMC Plus, which has Sundance as a part of it. And it was covered by YouTuber Mr. Ballin in episode Top 3 Stories That Sound Fake But Are 100% Real, Part 13, on June 10th, 2021. And that's on YouTube. And I think they also were making a TV series that's based in Skidmore, but it has nothing to do with any of the cases that happened in Skidmore. So there's the pop culture references. All right. So that is all we have for you. And Elizabeth will tell us a story for next week. It will be fantastic. I'm sure. We have our first Colts, people. Yay! I'm excited. I hope to God it's not Jonestown. I know no, it's no. not, but... No, it's, it's not. I, that's been talked to death. I have nothing to bring to that story. <laughs> okay. Well, you guys know where to find us. Yep. If you don't, go to horrendouspodcast.com. It has the links to all of our socials. Everything there. Everything. Even stuff you don't care to know is probably on there. Yeah, until next week. Thank you for listening. As always, thank you for your patience. Yes, and thank you, besties. Bye, besties.